are the Mystery History Podcast. I'm Allison. And I'm Rachel. And this week we are talking episode 65 on the Kristen Smart Disappearance. So before we get into the nitty gritty of that, we wanted to, I wanted to introduce you to Rachel, my new co-host. She's appeared in some of our other episodes, uh, especially the ones in New Orleans, because she was there with me. She knows everything about me, and she's now going to be hanging out with you guys. So I'm very excited for her to be here, and we're going to be changing some things up. Like, this is the first time we've ever video chatted. I'm super excited, too. I am, too. So this is kind of probably going to be clunky for the first couple times, but we'll get it, and it'll be professional. Because yeah, that's how we live. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. So, Rachel, why don't you just tell them a little bit about yourself? Oh, uh, like, man, I don't know. This is what feels like those icebreakers at work that everybody uh, hates. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You should told me you're going to make me do this. Uh, I am married, have two kids. I've always been into this kind of stuff. Um, I think that that facilitated Allie and I's friendship growing up, always were able to talk about these kinds of things. So I'm excited that we're able to do this on a podcast now, because it's pretty much just going to be like recording our conversations in general. Yeah. Um, but we always yeah. felt like we should have had some, somebody following us around before like reality TV was a big thing. Yeah, mainly I feel like they should have been following you around because you're hilarious. <laughs> like so much wasted comedy <laughs> in these conversations. Well, we're going to capture some because we do it together. Yeah. Yes. But uh, George has moved on. He is still under the Mystery History podcast umbrella. He decided to um, start his own show, which I believe is called Retro Waves. Um, so I think he's maybe done one episode i don't know yeah he has one episode out i haven't listened to it yet because it wasn't available on apple podcast on friday when i was working so um i think it's about joy division oh okay Mm -hmm. yeah so he's that's more his speed i think that he enjoys the spooky stuff from time to time but maybe this stuff was just kind of getting to him i don't know but uh but we wish him all the best and he might pop on from time to time, or we might do, you know, a crossover thing. I, I don't know what the future holds, but, but Rachel and I are in this together now. It will be her and I, and uh, we will keep doing these weekly shows. So thank you all for being with us on this crazy ride. Yeah. It's been wild for the last what couple months for you <laughs> yeah it's, so. I'm, I'm glad to finally kind of have control over it with with you and mm-hmm. we can progress and and keep on keeping on and, and get back to some sort of normal um, yeah while we've been trying to provide you content now we got our mics we don't have to do it on the phone anymore yeah so hopefully this sounds better than <laughs> the yeah, last few times should. that I was on it should yeah. Um, And then we're going to be, I mean, if you're listening to this, you're probably listening to it um, on a podcast platform, but we're going to probably start putting our stuff on YouTube uh, and maybe even getting a little fancy with that too. So, um, so we'll just keep on progressing. Yep. So uh, discord. Discord is another thing that I wanted to just bring up real quick. Um, we, we had a discord, we've had a discord for some time, but we didn't really utilize it as well as we should have. I think there's a lot of untapped things there that we could benefit from and you could benefit from. So we're going to try to become more of a presence on there and keep that conversation going. Um, a lot of the time you have to be invited and the invite link is only good for like eight hours or 12 hours. So, um, we did post things on our Facebook and our Instagram. Well, I will be posting something on Instagram and, um, what else quitter, which I don't know how to use very well, but we're going to try. Um, so if anybody is interested in our discord community, let us know, and then we can send you an invite for that. Yeah. I'm excited to start doing things on there with, um, episodes and then being able to talk to people that have listened to it. I think that'll be Fun. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I, think, 
I think so too. And just um, maybe hearing things that we wouldn't, you know, in our little bubble might not have heard of, or especially the, um, you know, the, the high profile cases, everybody has heard of that or heard a podcast on them, but something that's really not been done a whole lot. That's where I'd really like to try to go uh, yeah. to, to get the nitty gritty on that. Sometimes it's a little harder to investigate, but it's also interesting. And those cases need to be brought to the forefront too, especially if, if there's a victim that needs to be honored through that process. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And this, the one that we're getting ready to talk about right now, this Kristen Smart case uh, podcast actually, I think really is what reignited her case. And mm -hmm. I mean, we'll talk about it later, but this podcast in here is, I mean, they did a lot of good. So I think that that's cool. If you get people excited about something that still is unresolved, um, that, communities can come together and this one single person can do so much. It's, it's really neat. Yeah. There, I was, I was just watching, I just posted about it actually on the discord. There's a Netflix documentary called, why did you kill me? Mm -hmm. And it's, um, it's about a girl that is related to the victim that goes undercover as her, um, as a different name on Facebook and finds the killer of her. I think it was her aunt. Um, this and was a documentary. So yeah, it happened. It happened in real life. And wow. the cops kept telling them to like, stop, you know, don't do this. Yeah. Don't get yourself involved like that. But they pressed on and they are actually the ones who gathered the evidence in order for them to, sorry, they have the evidence to be able to convict them. And they got, they, they, I think it was first degree murder on one of them. And then somebody that was in the car with second degree murder. So it, oh. it's really good. That's cool. I'll yeah. Check it out. Yep. So let's go ahead and, and talk to us about this. Uh, start us off on this Kristen Smart. Okay. So I first heard about this case when I was listening. I think I was actually listening to like your guys's first episodes. Cause it was back in 2019, I think mm -hmm. when I was listening and I wasn't listening to podcasts before, um, very often before you guys started with mystery history. So I was looking for some other things after I'd finished listening to yours and found this podcast. It's called your own backyard and it's by this guy named Chris Lambert and he does the podcast and it's just, I mean, it is really well done. I, there were all the episodes were available for the most part when I started listening. So, you know, it was one of those where I just like listened all day mm -hmm. <laughs> um, to it. It was really, really interesting. He goes way more in depth than we're going to go and way more in depth than we could ever hope to go in an hour. And he has all this audio and these interviews with people and just like really good flow to tell her story, tell what's going on and you know, what all happened. Um, so this story really stuck with me, I think, because I feel like if I didn't have the group of friends that I have um, now, like from high school, now after everything, and then also in college specifically, um, we always, all my groups of friends have always had a very strict buddy system. Uh, mm -hmm. You don't leave your girls alone with a guy, especially when they're drunk. Um, you don't just, you know, wander off. And we, I never, I mean, I never went to parties alone. I always was with somebody else. Um, so, you know, because of that, I'm safe and where I am now. Um, but without that very strict buddy system in place, what happened to Kristen Smart could have very easily happened to me or any one of my girlfriends. Um, so that, I think has really stuck with me. And then just this other part of this is Kristen Smart is, um, well, was she's six foot one. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I had a bit of a complex and probably still do where I'm 5'10, I'm tall. I'm like nobody is going to try to kidnap me. I right. am not an easy target. Like mm -hmm. I'm a big girl and I will put up a fight. And you can tell that just by looking at me. But she was six one <laughs> and athletic, which I'm not that athletic. So I just feel like I always felt like my height would keep me safe. So when I heard that she was six one and something happened to her, I was like, oh my gosh, like could have, could have happened to me. So no, I, 
that's crazy because I always I, I always felt the same way with being a plus size person like you know fat people are harder to kidnap I really believe that in my soul but it could happen to anybody I mean it really yeah. it really could so absolutely definitely definitely good so okay. we're just gonna start um start you out just background information on Kristen before she disappeared okay so Kristen Smart uh, was born on February 20th, 1977 in Augsburg, Bavaria, West Germany. Her parents, Stan and Denise Smart, were teaching American military personnel's children in Germany, and she had two siblings, a brother and a sister. The family moved to Stockton, California when she was a child, and the summer before she started college, she was working as a camp counselor and a lifeguard in Hawaii. And during the school year, she was working as a lifeguard and you worked at a camp too, a summer camp. So right with, uh, there we went to summer camp together. Okay. But you weren't like a person. Okay. No, no, we were just too old to be going to summer camp. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you were like babysitting the children, but they pretty much got free work out of you then, huh? No, definitely not. I was only, I think when Sarah and I went to camp, we were in eighth grade. Okay. And then I, maybe seventh and eighth grade, maybe ninth grade we went. Maybe so, she, I don't know. Maybe she worked at the camp. Did she work? She at did camp? work at a camp. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yes, she worked at the camp at the sports complex. Okay. Yeah. So. I was like, no, I didn't do that. Well, <laughs> yeah, I know you had did. gone to camp. I did. Yes. And I was pushing the age limit there <laughs> the last year I went, <laughs> but yeah, no, she, so you weren't she in Hawaii. Awkward. No. And you know what else, Chris, I didn't put this in here, but, um, she also had traveled. I think she did some like school stuff in London and then Venezuela. So wow. like before she was even a freshman in college, she had, I mean, she was born in West Germany. She had been well-traveled yeah. And then, yeah, had just been in Hawaii, which would be awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, it Summer. seems, yeah, she's had a lot of life experiences with living in different areas and stuff like that. And being a lifeguard too, like you would think that she would be athletic and be able to fend off yeah. an attacker. So, well, and she was athletic. So, yeah. Um, so the night of Kristen's disappearance, she disappeared over Memorial Day weekend on May 25th, 1996. Um, on this particular evening, she was attending a friend's birthday party at a fraternity off campus and the friends that she had been spending the evening with didn't want to go to the party. So they dropped her off at the house where the party was. And they said when they dropped her off, she was sober so they hadn't been drinking they were just driving around and i if i remember correctly they said they dropped her off around like 10 to 11. so it was already like kind of late into the night um so around 2 a.m kristen was found passed out in the next door neighbor's lawn by two people that were leaving the party and that was cheryl anderson and tim davis and they helped Kristen get up and they were trying to get her home to her dorm, which this was all within walking distance. Um, so even though she was dropped off, I mean, walking distance, it wasn't real close, but they were sure. just trying to get her to her dorm. Um, and while they were leaving, another student showed up and offered to help to get her home. And that was Paul Flores. Good old Paul Flores. Yeah. And like with this, so, you know, I did a lot when I was in college, we walked everywhere. I mean, all, all of the places to go to parties were within walking distance. The main row of bars downtown was within walking distance. And, um, I don't know, just like thinking about this, there were a couple of nights where you, we had friends that got too drunk, um, and like trying to carry, basically carry them back to campus. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it was really nice of these two people to stop and try to help her instead of just leaving her in the neighbor's yard, because I'm sure sure that that would have been way easier. (laughs) Well, I'm sure at a college, because I didn't go to college to have that experience. I started working, but I could imagine that happens frequently where 
college kids get a little too wasted and yeah. you just kind of leave them where they lie. I mean, yeah, I can see that being a thing. <laughs> yeah. So, and of course, whenever you're younger, you know, the, the threats that you feel are, oh, it's fine. That's wouldn't ever happen to me. Everything's fine. And then sometimes yeah. it does. So yeah. I, I feel like as we've gotten older, my, my knowledge of danger has definitely gone up like oh yeah oh, for sure this could happen I'm still yeah I'm still <laughs> relatively oblivious like I have people that say like you know watch out for whatever but yeah still like I feel like I'm watching people more I definitely pay closer attention to my drinks <laughs> than I yeah. ever did like I won't leave my drink anywhere I won't I don't know have it too close to anybody else when you're sitting at the bar. Like, yeah, I don't feel like I worried about that. <laughs> the proper amount. Um, yeah. When I was younger. Yeah. Well, but we did have a good friend group that whenever you were home anyway, that we always made sure that somebody was not as drunk as the rest to be mm-hmm. like the mama bear or the protector. So <laughs> yeah. So, and we didn't even like me. <laughs> and nobody really had to tell us that we just had that in us you know I, I don't yeah. know how we all came together and all had that same philosophy because I don't yeah. feel like a lot of kids care about that kind of stuff so I mean I feel like my mom like instilled that in me very early but yeah like this whole uh we were all hanging out and we dropped her off at a party by like nope no, if everybody doesn't want to go, then either you're not going or I'm going and I'm going to be pissed the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> like you're not going by yourself. So I don't know what I'm sure that those, those girls felt very guilty. Oh, I'm sure. After the fact, which is just really sad to have to live with that. But mm-hmm. yeah, no, that would not have happened on my watch (laughs) well and now we just have to worry about our children and hoping that they come together with people that um you know will will do the same yeah yeah Yeah. so um so tim davis lived off campus and had given i had driven to the party so he split off from the group to go home Cheryl Anderson was second to split off leaving Paul to get Kristen to Mirror Hall Carol lived in Sierra Madre Hall, which was in the other direction. And she said in her deposition, good Lord, that Paul promised to get Kristen safely to her room and then asked her for a kiss. She thought that it was weird and gross. And then he asked her for a hug. She said no. (laughs) Paul claimed that he watched Kristen go to her dorm from his dorm. So if you were going to take somebody back home why would you just kind of if they if they were that drunk that they were passed out in a yard you had to walk them to their to their dorm why would you stop at your dorm and just let them go number one number two why did Cheryl leave her with him whenever that was weird I mean it wasn't her responsibility like it's not her fault but that's weird it was weird. And I've read things that have talked about like Cheryl and how guilty she feels mm-hmm. about this whole thing. She was the last person other than Paul to see Kristen Smart alive. Um, and I included a little map in our notes so you could kind of see where these halls were. And they came from the uh, where like that Christopher Cohan Center is. So it's pretty like split off where her dorm is way further this way and like to the right. And then their Mm -hmm. dorms were to the left. And I guess, I mean, I don't know. They called this guy like creepy Paul or something like that too. So it's not like, you know, he was like a safe space for people. I mean, he creeped people out in general, women specifically, Um, so I don't know why she felt like leaving that to happen was a good idea. Maybe she was drunk too and just wanted, I mean, if it's two in the morning and I just helped some super inebriated girl walk like two miles, I'm probably ready to go home too. So I don't know if that like was what it was or if she really thought that Paul wouldn't do anything. Um, It looks like, I mean, it looks like they're 
for, for Cheryl, that's a way like a far trek. So maybe she was just like, thank mm -hmm. God somebody else came along that is closer that can mm -hmm. help her. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was a long walk based on the map. So yeah, I don't know. I don't, I didn't see any like real reasoning there, but I thought the kissing thing was weird. Super um, weird. And yeah, that would have red flagged me extra to not let him take anybody that right. is too inebriated to do anything about. So yeah, I just, I don't know. It was, it was weird. The smart thing in that situation, she would have just been coming home with me and yeah, sleeping on the floor. Yeah, come sleep in the dorm. Yeah, like come <laughs> sleep in my dorm. I'm not going to deal with you. Yep. Just come here. Yeah, for sure. So due to the fact that it was a three-day weekend, no red flags were raised really until Kristen's roommate got back on campus and found that Kristen's belongings, so like things that she carried around daily with her, um, they were all in the same place that she had left them Friday night before she went out. So it did say that that group of friends that had dropped her off at the party, they were starting to freak out. Like the, nobody had seen sure. her. She didn't come to breakfast. They couldn't find her, but nobody cared. Um, just because it was a three-day weekend that nobody would open the door, like the dorm door for them to check and see if she was in there. Um, so, you know, it was just, they were worried, but couldn't do anything about it. So once her roommate, whose name was Crystal, is Crystal, um, got back from the holiday weekend, she was very alarmed and reached out twice to the campus police who eventually called Kristen's parents to see if she had gone home to, to be with them. And she had not. And that's like, so right now I'm reading the stranger beside me about Ted Bundy. Mm -hmm. And a lot of this occurred, you know, in the seventies and the amount of this exact thing happened because they don't have cell phones. They don't, you know, people could just leave for a weekend and not tell anybody. And then you'd never know if they're with their family or not. It almost mm -hmm. seems like, you know, back when the world affair and all of that oh, stuff yeah, happened like and it's, <laughs> yeah. And it's like, oh, yeah. well, they just went and moved to Nebraska and it's like, okay, they moved to Nebraska. Like that's not, it's nuts. And it, it the even more crazy thing is it wasn't that far, like long ago. I mean, oh yeah, no, it, that all <laughs> nope. of this, I, I just, the fact that we have constant contact with each other now, like, I can't even remember whenever it was, you know, you would go out to the store and whenever we were 16 and nobody knew where we were going, you know, yeah. you didn't know until you came home and that's right. just crazy. It's weird. It's definitely like, so, like we grew up right in the middle of that. So it's mm -hmm. like really strange to be there. I mean, by the time we were actually like going places, right. we had cell phones. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was, my mom was even just saying the other day, she's like, well, I know I have to answer when you call, because if I don't, you start freaking out. And I was like, you live alone. Mm -hmm. If you fall down or right have a heart attack or something <laughs> like how nobody's gonna know so yep. she gets like a half an hour to respond to me before I literally will drive over to her house mm -hmm. <laughs> like I don't know it's so yeah I mean that that is part of it that is like difficult because you feel like you always have to be responsive to people but yeah if somebody decides hey I'm gonna go home to my parents or I'm gonna go out of town like you can text them and be like hey are you out of town <laughs> so, right well, yeah, not then. And I don't know like what kind of arrangement where, and I guess like in a big fraternity or, or something like that, where you have multiple people in multiple houses or in one house, you might not talk to every single person that you live with to let them know that you're leaving. But I feel like there should be like a, what are they called? An a resident advisor or something like that, that you well, have to like tell. Yeah. There's, there's RAs. So I guess when I was reading that, yeah, I mean, I kind of thought the same thing because one of the notes in one of the articles was like the campus police said, like, it's really common for people to just go and not tell anybody. So like they can't do anything about it until, I don't know, more time has passed, I guess, because they'd be doing, trying to like chase a bunch oh, of people that are, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I thought it was very strange wow. that they did that. So that's nuts. 
Okay. So Tuesday morning, Kristen's dad, Stan, he showed up on campus to start searching for her. He said the campus police were not qualified. And when he tried to put in a missing persons report with the police department, they said it was too soon. That's another problem too, especially like whenever you have a child who is an adult, but Uh are still kind of a child, they, you can't, you know, they're even younger kids, they'll just be runaways or, you know, you have to wait so long before you can actually report them as missing while, you know, we all watch what, which one is that? Like, is it that hard to file missing persons that you have to wait until they're missing for a week? Like, but, and then that goes against everything that we've ever been told, like the first 48, Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah. those are the most important critical hours in an investigation to where you would know what's going on and you're missing all of that whenever you have to wait so long to, to be able to just file a missing report. Right. So weeks later, the missing person's report was written up weeks later. Okay. Weeks. Uh, by Cal Poly police. And in the statement, it said Denise, who is Kristen's mom, said Kristen had gone on a camping trip, which Denise denies ever saying. It sounds like they were just trying to skirt out of having to try to find somebody. Uh, Mm -hmm. Campus police started interviewing people a week after her disappearance. And Paul Flores came to his interview with a black eye and what appeared to be defensive scratches. In another interview, people said that they saw the black eye during the day after Kristen's disappearance and that his knees were all scraped up. From the people at the party, the reports vary of Kristen's behavior at the party. Some say that they saw her chugging vodka, which we've all been there. And others right. say that she didn't drink that night, which I've never been there. Nope. <laughs> uh, people said she appeared to be very intoxicated and possibly even drugged. This really indicates to us that people were drinking in general at the party and no one really remembers what was going on, which Obviously, you know, if you Joe Schmo over here, you're really not going to pay attention to what they're doing. And if you're drunk and then are asked weeks later, you're not going to remember. Right. Tim Davis did say that he saw Paul Flores on top of Kristen at one point, but said that they looked to be laughing and had just fallen, which that could be true, you know? Yeah. Yeah. He said that she didn't look distressed. They looked like they had tripped and fallen together in a hallway, Mm -hmm. Um, but that Paul Flores was talking to her and was around her. So Paul's reasoning behind his injuries changed a few times. Um, Once he said that he got the black eye at a basketball game, but the people playing at the game would not corroborate that story. And it was said that he had it prior to that game. That game took place, I think on like Sunday or Monday. Mm -hmm. He then said that he got it while he was fixing his car. Um, Paul Flores's roommate claims that he asked Paul where Kristen was. And this was early on in her disappearance. And Paul said with my parents, well, Yeah. Two days after Kristen's disappearance, the Flores family poured concrete behind one of the homes that they own, which was generally used as a rental and was vacant at the time. Hmm. His father lived 15 miles away from the campus and his mom made an offhand comment to a coworker the morning after Kristen's disappearance that Ruben, Paul Flores's dad, had gotten the call late and had left the house like a bat out of hell. Wow. Police did not apparently think any late night calls to the Ruben to Ruben's residence was important as they did not pull um, the call records from the dorm or any nearby payphones or the Ruben Flores's call records, nothing. They didn't, they didn't pull anything. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So these are just some of the things, uh, that occurred and didn't, I mean, do raise any flags. Yeah. Like they didn't go crazy looking at this, like the, the campus police, they weren't like, Hey, (laughs) so I already solved it. She's underneath the cement. Yeah. Mystery, mystery solved. (laughs) Wow. That is crazy. And that's like, I don't know, that's a tough situation in itself. Like if one of your kids did something bad. Oh yeah. It, but they'd, you'd have to, 
pay for what you did. You know, like, I just, I don't know. That's a, that's a tough spot to be in as a parent. Um, You sit, you know, just speculating that this is really what happened, but. Right, right. So the case was, uh, the case was taken to the DA's office with no evidence instead of to the sheriff. Uh, And if they would have charged Paul, he, and he got off with a not guilty, they would never be able to charge him again because of double jeopardy, which is crazy in itself. Uh, The campus had his dorm sanitized. Police cadaver dogs were brought in after the campus has sanitized his room and they still alerted to human remains. Wow. Yeah. So even after it was sanitized, it's still alerted that there were human remains. Yep. Wow. On multiple places. I think it was like on the corner of the bed, on the trash can, and then somewhere else. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, a golf cart and two car covers were reported stolen that weekend from behind St. Lucia Hall. The golf cart was recovered. And two years later, a student that worked for maintenance says he remembers his supervisor uh, telling him and a group of others to wash that cart down. Hmm. They thought it was weird as it didn't seem dirty. And later, the student recalls that the supervisor washing it down um, as the group had not gotten to it quick enough. So he didn't get to it quick enough. The supervisor jumped in and washed it. It's not an unusual occurrence for a college to try to cover up things that may make the college look bad. It hurts to think that Cal Poly may have had a hand in the reasoning of the slow, sloppy police work. Wow. Yeah. So not saying they did. Wow. Just there's speculation. And I know, I mean, you've probably heard other things. I mean, they cover up all sorts of stuff at colleges to, to make sure that the name doesn't get dirtied. So, you know, sexual assaults, um, you know, people in power, Mm -hmm. like sexually abusing people. I mean, that happens. And then when it comes to light, you're like, what was that gymnastics thing? Do you remember that there was like a physical therapist or something that worked at one of the colleges? Maybe that was for the Olympics. I'm trying to remember. But, you know, they could just get get away with things. Nobody says anything. Things get, like, hidden. If it gets reported, it doesn't get reported right. And, right. you know, you, they just try to hide hide things. I mean, it happens. So. That's I mean, crazy. Crazy, crazy. Yeah. And just with how slowly, I, really, the second that this guy, Paul Flores, comes in with a black eye and scratches on him. And right. then he tells you two different reasons why. Yeah we're done. Like we're done with the conversation. Like, let me go gather whatever evidence I need. It's you. Yeah. It's you. (laughs) So wow. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. So the Floreses had that rental home and when Kristen disappeared, it was vacant, but very shortly after that, they got tenants and it was the Lassiter's. So soon after they moved in, um, they said strange postcards started to arriving in, or started to arrive in the mailbox saying things like cooperate with the police and have your son come forward. So these postcards were for Susan Flores. This was about four months after Kristen's disappearance. So they, when they moved in, so they knew after they moved in, what was going on with the family because of those postcards. Wow. Um, a few weeks after moving in, Mary Lassiter was watching her car and found an earring in the driveway. She turned this earring into the San Luis Obispo Sheriff's Office, which is the sheriff's office of the area um, where the college is. And she later would state that the earring she found matched the necklace Kristen is wearing in the picture of her that was put up on billboards around wow. the city. Well, what are the chances of that? Like the picture that you post on billboards is the earring she was wearing that day that she disappeared and this guy, a girl found it in her driveway. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yep. I tell you. It's crazy. I it mean, is the things crazy. that have happened in this case are crazy. And how frustrating for the parents of Kristen. You know what I mean? Because if you look at all this evidence, it's just like, come on, (laughs) really? You know, even even if let's say Paul Flores didn't do this, 
the the police did such a disservice to the Flores family if he really didn't do this because you know the things that have happened to them just because mm-hmm. the public feels that he's guilty oh yeah um if they would have done a better job they would have disproved this and right. they wouldn't be in the position of you know the public just you know thinking what they think mm-hmm. so wow. yeah So Mary Lassiter also said in the master bedroom, she was awakened every morning at 4.20 a.m. by a beeping sound coming from the backyard. No, she said it sounded like a digital watch, but she searched for the watch multiple times in the yard and she could never find the source of the beeping. The backyard was all concrete except for in a couple of places where planter boxes had been created by cutting out the concrete. She said it drove her crazy and she went out there many times in the middle of the night to try to find the source of the beeping with sticking sticks into the soil of the planter boxes. After several months of this, it stopped because the watch probably died. Wow. That is awful. Yeah. So the smarts were never told about the earring by the police. And in a deposition, Mary asked the smarts if the earring she had found belonged to Kristen. When she described the earring, the smarts said it sounded like Kristen's favorite pair of earrings that have not been found in her personal effects. And Mm. that's why it matched the necklace that she was wearing in the picture. It was her favorite like jewelry set. Right. And they hadn't found the earrings. So this earring, however, came up as missing evidence. The hmm. police had lost it. Oh, so when Mary my. Lassiter turned it in, they didn't properly tag it or whatever. The earring has never been found. They don't have it. It could very well be in the evidence room, like mistagged in the San Luis Obispo Police Department. Like, who knows? Wow. But but they couldn't find it. And when Kristen's mom was told about the beeping, she was pretty much in shock. Um, she said that Kristen was working as a lifeguard and had an alarm to make sure she made it to the pool by 5 a.m. Oh. So that 4.20 a.m. beeping was probably her digital watch going off. Wow. Yeah. Oh. And what about like, what about Mary Lassiter? Could she, I mean, did they, well, I might be getting ahead of myself here. Yeah, a little bit. So if you read this next part, I'll talk a little bit more about Mary Lassiter. Okay, so um, let's see here. So it was almost or also over a year since Kristen's disappearance before law enforcement asked for Paul's truck. He said it had been stolen like you would. Four years after her disappearance, they searched the rental home owned by the Floreses, but they didn't excavate anything. By this time, they had searched Ruben's house, not very well, and the Smarts had filed a wrongful death suit against Paul. They actually searched many of these places more than once over the years. So with that, um, uh, with the, they didn't excavate anything, the, when they excavate, they, the police department, like people's tax dollars go to fixing whatever was excavated. Um, so if they broke up all the concrete at that rental home, the taxpayers would have to pay for it um, through the police department. And I guess the police department, they take like a vote. I mean, this is probably not everywhere. I think this was like specific to them. They like take a vote about if who wants to excavate, who doesn't, like if they think that they should do certain things like throughout the department. And I also read something that the first time they went to that house, they said that the, um, what is that called? Like the order that you have that you can do what you want, um, that it wasn't clear enough that they could excavate. So they didn't, but the person that wrote that order said that they did make it clear that they could. Really? So it's very like, I mean, this is over years, like Mm -hmm. over years and years and years. So they've gone back to the Flores's family's houses multiple times because they have that rental. They have Ruben Flores's house. And then Susan does not live with Ruben. So they've like searched hers too. 
And I mean, they've searched these places many times. They searched the, the campus mm-hmm. in different spots. Um, so I don't know. They've searched and searched, but never like well Where enough they the need first to. time. Right. <laughs> yeah, like they shouldn't have to do this multiple times. So I want to take a moment to talk again about the Your Own Backyard podcast. Um, This podcast, it was done by some guy who is a musician by trade um, and just is from that area. And he would drive by a billboard of Kristen and he'd heard the story. But one day he just started looking into her disappearance more. So he did this podcast, started interviewing people, got information and evidence that had not previously been found. So some of the things we discussed, specifically that interview with Mary Lassiter Mm -hmm. is what he did that. Like he did that. The police didn't do that. She turned in that earring and that was it. Right. So he went back to talk to her about this. And that's when he heard about like the beeping and, you know, found out that the police had lost that earring and that it matched her on the billboard. And yeah. So like a lot of the things that he did with this podcast really pushed this case forward. Sure. Um, And, you know, it was in 1996 that she disappeared. So this podcast came out in 2019. He started working on it probably a few years before that, maybe less, less than a few years potentially. So I don't know. It just really reignited the case, which speaks volumes for things like that, that you can get so much done with that. Um, So it's just really, really amazing. And Mm -hmm. I highly recommend it. Yeah. Um, And really just, I don't know. It, like it gives me chills thinking about how that case, this case could have just died without him, without yeah. him doing that. So, well, and, and it's not his, it wasn't his job, you know, he was just, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure he has a job that he goes to and then he comes home and then he, he digs this up. And if he could dig this up, whenever there are people out there, that is their whole job. Like their whole mm-hmm. job is to solve cases And the fact that he not having any credentials or anything like that to access, you know, probably really pertinent information, but he was able to get where he did. That is amazing. And we applaud you, sir, because that's awesome. It's amazing. That is. Wow. Okay. So let's talk about the latest in this case. Um, Paul and Ruben Flores were arrested on April 13th, 2021, which was not that long ago. No, just a second ago. Yep. <laughs> Paul Flores was four, is 44 and he was charged with first degree mur- murder and his father, Ruben Flores, 80 years old, was charged with accessory to murder after the fact. They both pleaded not guilty. Ruben Flores is currently out on bail. Um, if convicted, Paul Flores could face 25 years to life in prison for first degree murder. Ruben Flores faces up to three years of imprisonment if convicted of accessory to murder, which is probably going to be the rest of his life. Yeah. I mean, I mean really. Yeah. I think part of the reason why they let him out on bail is because he's not a flight risk, but also yeah. I think he has like some health. I mean, sure. everybody probably has health issues when they're 80, Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. Yep. So it took until a couple months ago wow. for them to be charged. So crazy. The San Luis Obispo district attorney, Dan Dow said in an April 14th news conference that they certainly believe Paul Flores on campus dorm room to be the scene of the crime, which was located in the building next to smarts residence hall. Dow said that the murder occurred during the rape or attempted rape of smart, which I don't know how he knows that. I don't know how you can say that. You don't have a body. They must have evidence of that, but her body's still not been found. Um, The forensic evidence from Ruben Flores's home suggests that she was buried under a deck in his backyard and recently moved. What? Yeah, that's all according to court documents that got released. So the, the case is continuing as a no body homicide until Smart's body is located. 
Um, it's unknown whether the prosecution will accept a plea deal in exchange for the location of her body. Uh -huh. And a 12-day preliminary hearing is scheduled for July 20th, which, which is, is two days, two days. Mm -hmm. from now. Um, this hearing's already been delayed two times, both times because of the defense's claim that they did not receive discovery from the DA's office. So meaning there was more evidence that was supplied and they didn't get it. Wow. Which is just yeah. a bunch of bullshit. Mm -hmm. Wow. Uh, so just a couple days ago, some court records were unsealed. The Daily Beast reported that police found videos of Paul Flores raping intoxicated women when they searched his house in April. They also found prescription medications, often used as date rape drugs, and a folder of fetish rape fantasy porn that Paul Flores had labeled as practice. Ugh. Ugh. What a sick son of a bitch. Mm-hmm. Four women have accused him of rape and upwards of 30 have accused him of sexual misconduct, including some saying they woke up in his home with no memory of getting there. Matt Fountain from the San Luis Obispo Tribune writes that traces of what could be human blood were found in a patch of disturbed soil under the home of Ruben Flores. Why doesn't it, I'm sorry, but if I thought that there was a body in my backyard you and me would be out there with shovels and we'd be digging that shit up. Well, if we thought there was, but it was his house. It was I know, his dad's but, house. But what about the renter? Like, what about, um, you know what I mean? Like that if, was under concrete. We could use one of those things, you know, what are they rental called? home? Yeah. Know, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, I mean, I it's, especially with the watch, like cello, it's under there. Right. Like, and I just don't know if she just didn't think that that was what was going on. I don't know. It's like hard to say. Um, this place, like where, where they said they found um, disturbed soil and what could be human blood. I guess they found it, but couldn't like rule out that it was something else. Mm -hmm. um, this was like under a deck with like awnings around it. And they said that the soil was disturbed in a way that looked basic. I mean, everything basically looked like somebody dug up a body that had been there because it, the size of the disturbed soil was like a certain size, which was like six foot by four foot or something along those like lines. A body. like Yeah. And it was most disturbed between like the first, you know, the top down three feet. Um, so, I mean, I guess these soil people can tell. <laughs> like what's been moved and stuff so yeah it's why well, be and, i'd be curious to know like how long you have blood for you know what i mean like would that make yeah. sense too that you would still have blood in your body if you were buried for like years and years and then moved somewhere yeah. else i mean who knows when they move if if they yeah. initially buried it at that rental property who knows when when they moved it or yeah if it, or if they even ever buried her at the rental property. I mean, who knows? Yeah. It um, could have just been her watch. Maybe, maybe it was just yeah, her watch that like had fallen in and her body there. And then because it was vacant and then right. waited till mom left and then took the, yeah. yeah I mean, that could be true too, especially because like the earring thing, you knew she was there. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. She was in that driveway at some point. I mean, it's really, who knows? And then it just like burns me up that all these women have been sexually assaulted since then. Well, and that's why they probably assume that she was raped or was in a, the middle of trying to be raped or something like that, because all this yeah. shit. Disgusting stuff is going on in his life. I mean, it's, I don't know. Cause I remember when I, I initially listened to this podcast, like I said, a couple of years ago, they, I think he interviews or at least talks to some people that worked with Paul Flores, like, like I don't know if it was at the time in the podcast or what mm -hmm. but like there were a couple girls there that said like he was weird and he would like be creepy and I don't it just is wow. kind of amazing to me that somebody gets to run around being such a creep for like, so long for so long he's 40 now yeah. I mean that's just wow. insane it really upsets me <laughs> that this because if they would have caught him that's at minimum for women. Yeah. I wouldn't have been raped. Wow. 
which obviously, I mean, I think the evidence points to more. If you wake up, if I wake up somewhere with no memory of how I got there and it's with some creepy guy Mm -hmm. like that, I'm probably going to go get a rape kit. I mean, seriously. Well, and (laughs) and that's that's only what happened. Well, and, and they're the lucky ones. I mean, as sad as that is that to they say, got to wake up. Yeah, yeah. That they got to wake up. And we don't even know if this might've happened to like, he might've killed other women. Like, mm-hmm. okay. So Kristen, we pretty sure he did that to her, but what about the other ones? Is there more bodies buried in underneath the soil? Could that blood be a, from a fresh victim? Like I don't know. Yeah, nobody knows. Who knows? I mean, I think too, with Kristen, it seems like, well, another note, I think Paul Flores is like five, eight or something like that. Mm -hmm. Like he's small, like he's shorter than her. Uh Um, and she's very athletic. I wonder if she like came to and and started fighting Mm -hmm. and then got killed. I mean, Assuming that's what happened. Again, he's only been charged. He's not been convicted. He did uh, it. It's not looking great. He did <laughs> for it. For him. Right. Yeah. Wow. And it's just, it just is crazy, like, to listen to all this. And like I said, they they didn't convict, like, he didn't get charged. He didn't get convicted. Um, and now it's happening, finally. But, like, 20 plus years. Well, and that's so hard. I, I would assume, I mean, I wouldn't, I, know, I don't know, but to lose a child and then not to have their body like that's so like because you a part of you probably is always wishing and hoping that they're going to walk through that door even though you don't you know they're probably not so I hope I hope that if he does do a plea deal he'll at least tell them where the body is so their family can rest because that's Mm -hmm. just awful and then imagine that no no and and it would be hard to not try to lay hands on, especially with him just running around for so long. Like I, I don't know how people. Oh can... yeah. Like just drive your car right over. Yeah. yeah. Bad. Whoops. Like, <laughs> yeah. whoops. Yeah. Like he's just out running free and mm-hmm. there's all that evidence against him. And, wow. and yeah, I don't know. Like it's crazy. So things are happening right now with this case. By the time you post this episode, I think that they will have already done this uh, start to start the 12 day preliminary Mm -hmm. hearing. So like while I was doing the research, that is when they unsealed some of the documents that that this last part saying that he, they found all that porn and um, you know, that they found potentially human blood like that all just came out a couple days ago so Mm -hmm. like it's ongoing they're working on charging them right now and convicting them i mean they're charged but convicting them getting the evidence for it so maybe we'll do like a little update in a few episodes if something happens but um just a couple things to talk about that were positive that came out of this one is this program so this is a little bittersweet Um, But the Cal Poly Red Hand program came out and it's a program that was put in place by Cal Poly's Women's Center in which a red handprint is put up to signify a sexual assault taking place at a location. So if there was a sexual assault somewhere, they painted like a red handprint. If there was two, there would be two, et cetera. So I don't have a ton of information on if they're still doing this program. So I don't know if it still exists because I saw some mentions that the campus began to paint over some of the handprints, specifically the ones that were in dormitories. Sure. Uh, They said it, they said it was upsetting students and parents. And um, I have some conflicting information, but one article I read said Cal Poly had upwards of 900 sexual assaults in one year. Wow. So if they're putting 900 handprints <laughs> everywhere, I mean, it could start looking oh. a little crazy. Um, and you probably so, ran out of room. Like, yeah, I don't I know could... if that was either. Like I, the conflicting information I found was when I looked at the campus website, their crime report shows way less than that, like 75 over a three-year span in like the late t- 2000s. Um, and that was like specifically on campus and like in campus residential areas. So I don't know if maybe some of these were happening like off of the campus, right? you know, so the, that 900 number could have been inflated by like rapes in, in that area, which is 
obviously not the same thing. Sure. So I can see why the program is problematic, but I also think that it's just so important um, that these things get discussed specifically on college campuses because that happens. It happens so often on campuses mm -hmm. across the United States and raising awareness about it and just like making people feel like they can talk about it is just so important because I think a lot of times I mean, things happen and people don't feel like they can talk about it or can tell anybody or like, oh, it was their fault. But just like talking about it more makes you more aware and mm -hmm. makes you make better choices and be safer when you're out. So I don't know, like I can see how walking into like my home with a bunch of red handprints on it could yeah. be off-putting. Sure. But I don't know. I mean, I think it's a good thought, something to get people talking yeah. I mean, I feel like that would be not great, especially if there were a lot, then I might be rethinking my living situation. I think that's what was happening. Like parents were, they were coming, moving them out. Like what nope. was happening? Like my kid's not staying here. There's been 20 people that have yeah. sexually assaulted here. Like, yeah, I think that's, that's true. what happened. But Or the, I mean, I don't know. I, I think though, too, with whenever you hear a case like this one and the, the police and how they handle the situation is also very alarming also, because that could be anybody's child, anybody, any, you know, and they just, um, are you not going to put in effort? If, if that happened to me, maybe she was still alive for a week, you know, nobody, nobody will know probably, mm -hmm. Um, but, but that's, that's scary too, that they might not put in the effort to, to find you if it's, you know, inconvenient or on a campus or because they don't want to, you know, be off putting to, to new people. I, right. I don't know what the solution is, but I agree. I think it needs to be talked about way more. So it's in the forefront of your mind that you can be careful and make the right decisions. And I think the most important thing is like we said earlier, is just surround yourself with good people that are going to be watching your back and yeah. wouldn't let you get into that situation. Right. Yeah. I mean, and it happens like I was just telling you the other night when you were over and we were looking through old pictures, there was a picture of me and a guy that I went to school with in college. And I told you, he cornered me in a hallway when I was getting off the elevator. And it was, it was my hallway to my dorm. Like I mm -hmm. lived there and he was obviously really drunk. I was drunk. Um, but he cornered me at the elevator and told me I had to kiss him so I could get past him to go to my room. Yeah. And he was really big. Like, again, I'm five ten. He was six I don't know, five, maybe, maybe even taller than that. I don't know. He was very tall and he was big. So I couldn't kick his ass. <laughs> and if he was my size, I would have, Yeah. Um, but it was very uncomfortable. And I, I said no. And he got closer to me and I said no again. And I'm pretty sure I like ducked under his arm and like took off. Uh -huh. I didn't tell anybody about it. And I was still friends with him. Like, I don't know. It's like, I hope things are different and are getting different because things like that have happened to me. Like I, I can think of a bunch mm -hmm. and it's like, that shouldn't happen to people. Like, and two, like, I never really felt like I could say anything. I thought it would be weird if I said something, but you shouldn't be acting like that. You right. can't do that. Right. So it's just like, I don't know. I hope that, you know, if, if something like that happens to my daughter, I hope that she feels comfortable and I would hope that things like that red hand program where it's getting people talking about this, this happens all the time kind of mm -hmm. thing. Like we got to keep this from happening. You know, I would hope that that would like, you know, push things in that direction further. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh boy. Well, this is why well, I would definitely be listening to that podcast because I think that that's important. And oh, I'd like God. to hear, I'd like to hear the like interviews and stuff like that. That's mm -hmm. awesome that he was able to get those. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much more information in, in the podcast. I mean, a lot of things happened. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's been a lot of years. So a lot of things have happened as far as like 
them searching the houses and then like the police doing different things that we didn't really get into the nitty gritty of that he goes over and yeah a lot of interviews about people that have been around Paul like recently mm-hmm. and it's just uh, I mean there's a ton ton more stuff in there that's it's very so if this piqued your interest at all definitely go listen it's very good very well done well, and, and yeah, this is something definitely that we can keep, you know, on the, the docket for any kind of updates that there are, because um, this is, this needs to be continually talked about. So I'm glad that you brought this up because uh, I did not know about this and I you am know, when shocked. I told you about it, I saw our list and you put Elizabeth Smart. And I was like, <laughs> wasn't nope. she somebody too though? Wasn't she yeah. somebody? Yeah, she got... Taken. Wasn't it like on a cruise ship or something like that? I want to say. Oh, I don't remember. I don't know, but they found she was found and okay. she's well, good, alive good. and living life now. Good. So, well, good. Yeah. Not the same person. I know this. Not now. the same person. And yeah. yeah. So there's just one little, um, one other little thing. So the Kristen Smart Campus Security Act, um, campuses. Campus police's slow response to Kristen's disappearance prompted the Kristen Smart Campus Security Act to be put in the law in 1999. The law requires law enforcement agencies to designate operations, responsibility, and define specific geographical boundaries of response for the investigation of part one violent crimes. And I think that um, in our Victims' Rights Week episode that we did, we talked briefly about this law and act. And and there's some other ones now where you um, don't have to have the long waiting time in order to report a missing person if they're an adult, um, which is is super important, especially nowadays while we have constant communication with each other that if you can't hear, if you don't hear from somebody, then like, they missing. (laughs) Yeah. They're not something's wrong. Right. So, um, so yeah, that is, and, and that's good that something so tragic can at least have some sort of silver lining to it to, to try to prevent this from happening in the future. So, yeah, it's a positive impact. And, you know, there's a lot of laws out there to protect student rights. Um, and this is just one of many where they, I think, umbrella over each other. Um, mm-hmm. Cause this like seems obvious. I mean, like through this legal jargon, it basically just means like if something bad happens, like somebody gets raped or murdered or assaulted, um, we know based on where it happened, whose responsibility it is. And then where that responsibility ends and other people take over. And it, it doesn't even, it's not like specific, like you have to do this, this, this it's like, you guys just have to have a plan in place. Right. And communicate with each other. (laughs) Right. Part Mm -hmm. of the part with this case was that Cal Poly's campus police was like, we got it. And then didn't got it. Mm -hmm. And it was just not like a clear handoff. And then two, just to like wrap back around where they tried to go to the DA's office with no evidence. Yeah. Well, then it almost is like, it's almost like, not even a cover-up for the universities. I, I, it just seems something strange is afoot. Shady. Yeah. yeah. It's just generally shady. Hmm. I don't know. Weird. Well, but. I'm I'm excited to see what happens in the future. And hopefully they can nail this guy to right. uh, wherever we need to, to nail see, him and set him yeah. on fire. I'm curious to see what evidence they have found because obviously they found something now to convict him and it has to have been around that April date mm-hmm. he got charged and around that April date they did three dig sites on the campus looking for things so they found stuff yeah I don't know what it is yet so I mean I think that it will be the conclusion I'm hoping for with this case is just so sad that it took so long, so long, yeah. so long, unnecessarily long. So, well, we'll we should cite our sources. So we use yeah. the, the daily beast, uh, recordnet.com, Wikipedia, 
NBC news and your, the own, your own backyard podcast that Rach had, had said. So we hope that you enjoyed this podcast. We, I want you to welcome Rachel with open arms. She's going to be fantastic. And we're going to knock this out of the park. We got this. We're super excited about the new things to come. Um, right now we don't have, we don't have a website, um, at right now, but we're working on it and I'm trying to, between zone. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but eventually we'll get, you know, the website and we'll get some merch and things like that. Um, I was thinking about possibly ordering some stickers and sending those out to you guys as a thank you for hanging with us through all this crazy stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so yes, we hope you enjoyed this episode and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye.